irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Welcome to All Things Therapy. I'm your host, Lisa Tahir. I'm a licensed clinical social worker practicing as an an intuitive psychotherapist and Reiki healing practitioner. You can find me online through my website, which is nolatherapy.com. It's the abbreviation for New Orleans Los Angeles Therapy.com, spelled N O L A T H E R A P Y. From my site, you're able to book sessions with me anywhere in the world where you might reside, as I do phone, Skype, and FaceTime sessions. You're also able to meet with me in person at my Los Angeles or New Orleans office locations. From NOLA Therapy, you can listen to archived episodes of this show. You're able to subscribe to this show on iTunes and Google Play, which I appreciate your subscription. And lastly, if you like what you have been hearing, I welcome and thank you in advance to support my show through the crowdfunding campaign I've begun with Patreon.com. There's a link on NOLA Therapy, or you can visit Patreon.com, and there's a host of other podcasters, authors, and artists that have shows, and you can give as little as a dollar a month to, to support us in our work. I'm going to shift and introduce my guest today. In just moments, I will be speaking with Lorraine Van Tool. She's a PhD, a holistic psychologist, shamanic healer, an ordained minister. She's an intuitive empath, a depth hypnosis practitioner. And today we'll be talking about how all that rolls into her recent release, her book titled Amazon Wisdom Keeper, a psychologist memoir of spiritual awakening. Welcome, Lorraine. Hi, Lisa. It's such a pleasure to be here with you and your listeners today. Thank you. I'm so grateful to have you on my show and talk about your work and talk about your book. Same here. As I said to you earlier, you're my first therapist host interviewer. So I'm really curious to see how this will go. I'm really excited about it. I am. I am as well. And I'm, I'm curious, where would you like to start with our discussion? Well, um, I, the last thought I had before you introduced me was, was what really is my, mis- my mission and what would I like the, least, the listeners to take away, which is mm-hmm. clarity. I think getting to, we, we hear so often, trust your heart, trust your mission, trust what you're here to do. How do we trust that? It's not that easy. Our hearts are often layered with so much gunk and so mm. much um, societal influences, trauma, our own histories, our own life, or this trauma from this life, but also traumas from 
our ancestors, our lineages, our past lives. It, it's, it's really a tremendous task to read through all that, to get to the diamond within that clarity within. And the way I hope to do that is by renaturing ourselves. I think I call it this denaturing process, which makes it really hard to to go in the body, to trust the body also as an aspect of nature and source that that's connected and that we can tap into. So um, I, I think that is also in a very broad sense um, the mission, the, the message of my book. So uh, we could start there. So what I, what I hear you saying is that with all of the layers and factors that go into making up who we are as individuals, cultural factors, spiritual factors, societal factors, interpersonal factors, things imposed upon us, things that we choose that then have consequences. My sense is it's kind of like, how do we even identify and articulate who we are as individuals and getting clear about all of these various factors and influences that we have coming at us from the outside and emanating from us from the inside. Would that be accurate? Yeah, yes. And even what comes from the inside, it, I mean, to tease it all apart, it, it's, it can get really tricky. Uh, yesterday, um, th- this is my favorite pastime. I just like to sit on thoughts and, and try to split hairs just mm-hmm. for fun. <laughs> During my commutes, I, I do this a lot. But anyway, I was just thinking of this idea of power um, and explaining this to one of my clients that we, one way to look at what motivates us is, is this desire for control versus power. And I know people use the the term power in relation to ego also, like your power tripping. But in my mind, I started to discern and said, well, maybe if we look at control more coming from the ego mind and power more in terms of what we tap into, this field of love and peace Mm -hmm. and this Mm -hmm. very powerful place that has more to do with surrendering and receiving, it, it will make things a little easier because so many of my clients, they think it's the, they, they think they're empowering themselves and they, and, and not just my clients, but I think all of us in the world, we are disconnected and we want to reconnect. We want this sense of power and empowerment and being our full selves, but we're coming really from a place of control and trying to control the external world so that we feel safe again, so that we feel all these things that we're desiring, but it it kind of backfires. It's it's sort of yeah um, yeah we're chasing our own tail. We're we're just missing the point, and it's so much more about going in, and that's scary because that often will force us or will, will lead us to all these unresolved traumas and pain and suffering and misconceptions and all these layers that we're stuck in, we would have to move through that somewhat. Um, and then we connect and find power. There, there are ways to, to meditate and connect. Sometimes we're in danger of connecting and feeling that power and then we're done and, and sort of bypass all that work that needs to be done. So it, it's, a, it's a tricky thing to get to this place of connection and then using this power to work through these layers but not get seduced to try to control because I think that's where we go wrong. 
Well, and and what I hear you saying is that the kind of normative cultural ways in American culture that we go about uh, are defining, expressing our power, I think is often through, and particularly for women, since I am a woman, Mm -hmm. in in Mm -hmm. constriction and protection Mm -hmm. and kind of protecting ourselves and constricting and and almost getting smaller to to keep from Mm -hmm. being hurt or misperceived. And I think it does the exact exact opposite of what we want which mm-hmm. which will expand and really occupy our space and take up our space energetically emotionally uh you know psychologically sexually in in all the ways that we have of expression that i encourage listeners clients myself to to expand instead of contract especially when there's an edge of pain that is being touched upon to mm-hmm. lean in to that pain and inquire mm-hmm. what lessons do you have for me what information do you have because i think there's so much opportunity to grow there and and i know in your book amazon Wind- wisdom keeper you talk a lot about your own experiences becoming a psychologist and and the growing pains in the field that isn't necessarily open to shamanic tradition, spiritual healing, uh, ancestral guides, spirit beings being with us to inform us in our work. And I wonder if you can talk some of about some about your challenges as it pertains to your book. Sure. And um, just to piggyback on what you're saying, protection. As we do that is is wise. I I um, in no way am trying to say ignore what your ego mind's saying and your desire for control and the information that's coming through. I just see it as a smaller subset of a much larger field of reality and awareness that we can have. So as we can expand, as we expand, that doesn't mean not to be strategic. You don't want to stay in an abusive relationship or, you know, do things that are not good for you, but to try to mitigate that by changing which is what we often do, investing our time in changing the abuser or whoever's mistreating us so that we feel better often disconnects us from our power. So in my situation with um, entering the field um, of clinical psychology, which happens about halfway to the book, I intentionally started with my childhood. Actually, for the Mm -hmm. most part, I've been writing this book since I was in graduate school, which was in 1994. So more than 20 years ago, um, some form of this book was being written. And I always always thought that I would start there because that was such a pivotal point in my awakening where so much was coming through because I was really being pushed to my limit, I was really being triggered by some of the messages that for for a clinician uh, to believe that your personal experiences, to consider that more worthy than research studies and things like that, um, means that you're being self-deceived and only... Uh, a critical thinker and the statistically significant research could remedy this unfavorable Mm. disposition that we have. All that was really putting it sort of in my face that you need to make a decision whether or not you're going to trust or continue to trust your empathy and intuition. And up, up till then I had done it 
just intuitively hadn't really yes. given it all that much thought, but it had been my compass. It had been my true north and what I could bet like my life on or started to as I got closer and closer to what I wanted to do. So that's when I was really in that position. Um, Again, that's what I said. Do I control? Do I try to change this field, or do I go somewhere else? Right. And then we, and then you go deeper inside of yourself, where there was this soul awareness that this was my calling, and it wasn't uh, my approach wasn't going to be. Uh, uh, I made lots of mistakes learning it this way, but my pro- approach wasn't necessarily going to be coaching and training other people, but emerging with my power. And just naming and calling it and expanding from the inside out and see where that would lead me. And I got lots of guidance from my ancestors and others um, who then crossed my path. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm thinking, Lorraine, it's important for listeners to know where you come from and your background. Can mm, you talk to yes. us about being from Suriname? Because I've read your yes. book. I don't know who else has who's listening, but right. I'd love for you to give that rich history and context to add to our conversation. That makes a lot of sense. So I ended up uh, calling the book Amazon Wisdom Keeper. You might you might like that for the longest time, maybe up to a year before I had decided on the final title. It was called Psychologist, Initiated. Ah. Um, <laughs> because I knew at some level that what I was going through was an initiation and I liked the spin on it um, of how crazy I felt during the process. But um, it yes. made sense. It made sense when I talked to a book consultant to differentiate my book from some of the other books that are out there. And... Uh, grounded in place. And so Suriname is a little country right above Brazil, and it's actually covered much more than any of the countries around, almost entirely by Amazon rainforest. It's Mm -hmm. about the size Mm -hmm. of Georgia. And according to the World Bank, it's actually considered to be the most tree-covered country in the world. So even though I lived in the city, which is a tiny little city on the northern coast, I would have patches of rainforest like right next to me and we also would every weekend go to this little patch, this orchard that my family has and spend the weekend or the Saturdays there mm-hmm. and so I, I really strongly connected to the nature spirits and aura and um the animals and just being there was my, as I said in my book, I often imagine being Mowgli. I have this intuitive sense that there was much more suffering and human constructed problems, even Uh, just half an hour from this place. Yeah. And so it's all subjective, right? Because even in the city, it's a very multicultural, a very low key kind of third world country, much less stressful than, than modern world, the U.S. So it was a huge shock for me then to eventually move to Miami, which I call the uh, the concrete jungle after right. revolution after revolution in Suriname, which is very unexpected. But anyway, it was subjective. For me, even back then, I revolted at times. I was seven and I threatened to run away from home because I didn't like, you know, when there was conflicts and things like that. It was a very sensitive 
And when my mother said, well, why don't you? Because she was a school principal and also kind of an extreme in her own. Uh, she, was, she, she studied abroad. She was very feminist and very gung-ho and disciplined. So we were paired <laughs> in a, yeah. at the universe perfectly for me to already um, experience some of the academic kind of mindset and, and schooling will get you ahead. And I was already resisting all that and wanted to write this book, tell her about what's going on in my mind. So um, that, that was the preface of what then happened later in graduate school. That all started to surface back. So uh, one of the things that struck me reading the beginning portion of your book, when you were talking about growing up in Suriname and, and just the abandonment that you experienced because of the militaristic uh, just domination, it sounds, that was increasingly like the uh, leading up to the revolution that you'd have best friends and all of a sudden they're gone and they would move to, I think, Holland or just the families right. would be gone and the military would just take people. And I can't imagine how mm. distressing and upsetting that would be. Right. And then suddenly you're going to Miami and your dad goes to California and your family's separated so just the, the theme of abandonment and having to mm -hmm. change in the moment unexpectedly. I, I'm curious how that affected you. Yeah, I, I experienced it more like a disconnection. Of course, there's the element of abandonment. But up to that point, I was still strongly connected to this consciousness that I was getting through the reinforced. But also I talk about very, um, many ancient cultures and traditions, including in my home. Um, my first chapter talks about the Mar Maroons, who are runaway slaves and um, lived in the rainforest for almost 200 years. So they preserve many of their traditions and wisdoms, even more so than what you find in Africa these days. And so uh, she, we had lots of conversations. And even though it, uh, it didn't feel completely safe, uh, I could have them at least privately in my head or in my dreams. Mm -hmm. And when this happened, the revolution happened, my mother sat me down after a few years that things really became intense because the first year or so, I didn't even hit at home. It was like, no, this is not real. But when it really started to become real, and like you said, people just sort of disappeared in the middle of the night. Yeah. And people got picked up, even my friends father oh. and tortured and things that you would hear it became really scary and when she said you need to watch everything you say and uh, we can get picked up and it was this responsibility that I had to others my family I disconnected from my truth and I think that is what most mm. of us um, especially in the modern world you're disconnected from your truth as a baby um, because I think uh, there's much more bombardment and disconnection in the way society functions that from the beginning just to survive in your family dynamic or school or whatnot there's there's many more disconnections that are just sort of endorsed but in any event that's really when I lost my connection and then moving to Miami was like losing my lifeline completely and my father then moving so it, there, there was a lot of uh, sort of scrambling around I was selectively mute 
for a year or so being teased for my English, and mm. I, there, there was a desire to find that power back, that sensuality, that aliveness. And as I wrote about in my book, I joined the, the drill team, and I kind of went the wrong direction, um, which is, is not uncommon, sort of, uh, with your hormones raging and oh yeah, especially being girl and a woman, it was all about being popular and using and abusing my sexuality and sensuality. So that's where it went for a few years. They went really wrong. And then I got my senses back and my mother's message then seeped in and I was going to be a good girl, find my power there through my schooling and education and all that. So that kind of backfired a bit. So that was that's the first part of my journey till my graduate program. So when did you realize, Lorraine, in your consciousness mm-hmm. that you were disconnected from your truth? I think when my mother told me that you need to watch what you say, my consciousness for the first time was completely now focused on my environment. Well, before and how old were you then when your mom said that to uh, you? I think I was 12, 13. I mean, so young, then, okay. it was a struggle. Yeah, it was a struggle up to then. She threatened so many different ways. As I talked about, she called me Ejoes, which in Dutch means your own wisdom, your own way. It could also mean your way, the highway. So there was a battle a lot where she wanted me to um, listen to the adults, listen to her advice. Uh, arguing that she knew better. She would, you know, it's typical things. I'm your mother. You need to listen. I'm, I've done this before and that sort of thing. And I was, my comeback was like, I'd rather die than live somebody else's life. And I would say things like that, like at eight maybe already. Yeah. So there was yeah. a battle of that already going on. And then she also, because that word has a dual meaning, there were times, because like I said, she's quite unusual herself, that she admired that and she encouraged that feistiness in me. So up to then, I was holding on. I was holding on by a thread. But when that happened, that was it. The idea of my family or anybody being hurt because I was being, in my mind, irresponsible or indulgent or feisty or ways, which is what I thought, stubborn and needing to have it my way. Um, I was, I let go of that consciously and I really started to pay attention to every single thing that came out of my mouth, which in some ways helped me to be very mindful and conscious, but Mm -hmm. false and very oriented and, um, trying to please and fit in and strategize and adapt more so than connect to myself. So I'm thinking of censor, censorship. As you yeah, say, that censoring and, and a yourself. Hypervigilant, right, and a hypervigilant. It was more extreme, but I got to say, working with clients, especially women in this culture, they're, they're, it's, a, it's a common thing. They might not think of themselves as censoring themselves, but there's a, a quieting of the self, inner wisdom, that sort of warrior goddess voice, and uh, focusing outward. That is a common thing that we, I think, do. You you mentioned a few moments ago a word that's in your book. Please correct me because I feel like I could mispronounce it. Is it Agenweiss? Agenweiss. So Agenweiss own in Dutch, German too, Agenweiss is from wisdom, wise. Your own wisdom. So I wondered if that influenced the title of your book, that, that term and its meaning at all in choosing Amazon Wisdom Keeper. 
Yes, and um, like I said, I talked to this consultant who suggested that book, and I got to say, I was a little shy about that. I felt it felt a little too bold and 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 a little grandiose. That was one of my diagnoses mm. and worries in graduate school, as we all um, diagnose ourselves with all these disorders. But right, that was the as one we're that learning. kept me back. You know, am I being delusional and grandiose? Because there was a power and a wisdom I could tap into and sort of cause all these worries to feel very skin just skin deep and tap in my truth but the possibility that it would mean that maybe then i'm grandiose and delusional um caused me to sort of back off and uh, get stuck in this double bind so when she mentioned it there was a part of like yeah and then another part like um what does that mean that self-doubt but I went ahead and did that also, like I said, to ground it. And towards the end of the book, um, the Amazon, uh, the, the word of that has other meanings. First of all, of course, um, Amazons in terms of female warriors. But mm-hmm. also this story that I learned, and I don't want to give it away, but that I learned about the indigenous people from Suriname and mm-hmm. their rendition of why the Amazon rainforest was called the Amazon rainforest and their connection to that. So it, it's to give tribute to that, to the land indigenous people and their their vision and and their uh, vision for the future. And I think it's it's a sound one. It's one that we could, uh, the rest of the world could benefit from. So that was the other reason. You know, it, it strikes me, Lorraine, that you even brought up moments ago that you struggled a bit with the title, wondering if, if it sounds mm. grandiose, because that was never a thought that crossed my mind. I really mm. love Amazon Wisdom Keeper, because to me, it connotates this beautiful handing down, as in storytelling traditions of other cultures that mm-hmm. isn't as predominant in our American culture, like a beautiful, almost like you're holding this native tradition in your hands and, and offering it to us to learn about mm-hmm. and and adopt if we want. So I saw it as a really beautiful offering from you as opposed to something grandiose. Mm-hmm. Well, the the reason why, and it's not just about being the, a wisdom keeper, but all of it in some ways, because in my mind, I was very, um, as a child even, I was very attracted to all of this indigenous healing and there wasn't a lot of TV or anything when my father loved to watch nature documentaries and shows and fortunately they featured very low-key low-tech ways how the indigenous people both the maroons and the indigenous people in the Amazon lived and many of them were you know uncontacted maybe 50 years ago not too long ago and so uh, there there's a part of me that intuitively absorbed and connected to that to that and another part of me that said that's not me that uh, my i I'm, I'm a city girl and my lineage i'm multicultural and there's nobody who really handed that down or taught that to me so it took a while for me to really embrace and honor that i've been guided by the spirit so to speak and 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 read about that 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 happens also um, and especially not something that I was seeking, but definitely came to me. So this was the key. I felt a little bit like, mm, I don't know, uh, you know, if that 
a certain humility, a, a false one, because <laughs> there's in, I think there could be a lot of ego and humility too. And there's a lot of trauma, I think, related to the self-doubt. And like I said, what I went through mm-hmm. in graduate school, if um, I was deserving of that title or if I would give people the wrong impression and this and that. But I'm okay with it now. I, I see it as an honor. I'm, I'm totally fine with it now. What I hear you talking about is the process of learning to trust yourself and that inner knowing, that intuitive knowing and connection to the divine spirit and, and what flows through you, through your voice and your mannerisms and your ways that I believe we all possess and really owning that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, the nice thing for me is it really felt that because I was so strongly aligned, they were, there were lots of synchronicities and serendipitous moments that I experienced and had and signs that were, in my mind, irrefutable. They, they were kind of defined this, this, this proof, so to speak, that the universe had my back, was showing me the way. And I think what got really difficult and confusing was how the spirit, um, the paths, I, I wasn't, even though there's a part of me that was experiencing this, you'll see this in the sort of middle towards the middle and two thirds, three fourths of the book. So there's this path going one direction, but it, I wasn't able to bridge it with my other development and I wanted to so badly, but I couldn't as a psychologist and my training that I was having, I was kind of like living a double life. Mm-hmm. How do I bring these two together? So there was one, a part of me that I completely trusted it, but I thought in my mind, I could not indulge in that. It needed to be my own extracurricular activity or my private indulgence. You know, keep it personal, keep it separate. Don't bring your intuition where you don't have research proof or uh, this uh, specialized um, trainer or um, culturally competent person telling you this is okay to do that. Don't bring that into your practice and your work with clients. Till of course the universe started to bring me clients who really challenged. Were hungry that, for we, that, right? And really, it then showed me there is beyond a shadow of a doubt um, this this evidence that if I trust my intuition with them, I will help them, regardless of what the field says that this could be risky or you know don't do this. This is um, not standard of care and whatnot. I knew that this is what they needed. So that that's when things got tricky, like how to proceed from there. Yes. And I, what you're saying resonates with me. As you know, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I have been for 20 years. I'm licensed in two states. So which entails mm-hmm. much like you, you know, maintaining 20 hours of CEUs in each state, uh, ethics, standards of practice. So I'm very well immersed in in that that model of of healing from from that perspective as you are as a Ph.D. and and then to branch out into more intuitive ways of working with people. And and what I love about my license is the guidelines for ethics. And, you know, I like the safety of boundaries and and things. And at the same time, I think when you when you start working as a spiritual healer and intuitive, there are things that you say and do that really 
could, in air quotes, violate those standards of practice and things that are ingrained in us, especially me working 20 years and for you as well. It's like, oh my gosh, can I say that? Can I do that? And you talk, I love when you start talking in your book about your client Paloma, that really rocked your world in, in beautiful ways of awakening. Can, can you talk to our listeners some about that process for you? Because I have a lot of therapists that listen to the show. Yes, absolutely. It just challenged me <laughs> up the gazoo. Um, well, one of the things was I had had some intense spiritual experiences. I had done a sweat lodge. I had met a Cherokee elder and had this amazing connection uh, and transmission in just 10 minutes of time, not even speaking much. And so I knew what some of those experiences felt like kind of in that other life. And so when I met her, my body, and she was a young student, she was from the suburbs, she was Caucasian, she had not even been to therapy, I I believe, ever, done any spiritual healing, meditations, or anything. And so I was having these reactions to her and her energy and the way she was looking at me. And she had just the things that came out of her mouth, and she had mm-hmm. read my whole website. I, I knew it was very parallel to this experience that I had with this, this Cherokee man. And my mind, of course, was trying to categorize her differently. Mm-hmm. She couldn't. But she should have had, for her to be able to do that, she should have come from this background. She should have had this training. All the knowledge is sort of, you know, this idea that all this can only happen through knowledge and particular training. While there is a part of me that also knew, no, you had all this as a child. You know that this is an awareness and a wisdom that can be transferred even from another life in and it's not even correlated with your age or cognitive abilities. There's things I knew that I had no words for, and that was that's the reason why Helen Keller was one of my childhood spirit guides, so to speak. Yeah. I, and Frank, Helen Keller, and Joan of Arc. And Beautiful. They, I didn't have all the words, but the energies, right, that they all carried. Mm-hmm. One about, like, you know, re- trusting your heart, the other one about writing it and hiding with your truth and being a leader even as a girl. So um, there's a part of me that all these were activated and said, no, this is possible. And so I start to look at her differently and uh, and really connect from that place. I couldn't do this double live anymore. Now I have to bring myself into the session and trust my intuition how validating her and really deeply listening to her was helping her and she was so naturally intuitive and just beyond I felt like she's light years beyond me and after 10 years or so we're still you know recently reconnected she read the book and all that she went to one of my readings yes Um, of course incognito but right um, I still feel light years ahead of me (laughs) even though I've done you know so anyway the point was that I would give her little direction and she would just fly with that and do so amazing that, uh, and then, then the universe would sort of endorse that as the right thing to do. So that's where I felt like the universe was really double binding me with my own hangups. And I had to 
do what was right for my client, um, no matter what anybody thought or said, I was willing to do that. And she is kind of like, I, I joke about this when you see those bumper stickers um, with the paws and says, who rescued you, who about pets, you know, from shelters. Yes. She was, she was rescuing me as much as I was, <laughs> quote unquote, rescuing her. So that became a very beautiful journey. I think it's not unusual for therapists to feel that way, right? You get the right clients teaching you exactly what you need to know. Well, so I think what you uh, did, I think what you did, yeah. though, took a lot of courage because at the same time you were working with her, you were in a consultation group that, you know, felt I'm going to use the word, you know, threatening in some way to what you were doing, how you knew intuitively to work, to speak, to act with your client. And and you were opening to your gifts and abilities and the consultation group kind of didn't reflect. And finally, you left that group, you know, after after a while. And so it just seemed so challenging and just took a lot of courage. For you to walk both of those lines, I think, and that really came through in your book in a powerful way. Yeah, that that those years were the most challenging. I mean, if the whole thing was a dark night of the soul, or actually mm-hmm. call it a dark night of the ego, but that's where things really got to a head. And it was only the signs and support that I felt that I was getting from the universe, um, which included go see a psychic. Uh, yeah. And really expand out and see who else in human body form, because that's what I was lacking or I was getting it, but it was way too sporadic because this is also so long ago. Things have changed majorly in the field, but I thought it's still a nice, um, it, nice to have a report of <laughs> some of these experiences. I do hear actually from some of my clients who are therapists in training that are going through this still in their programs, which are very prominent and respectable programs, um, who have done uh, more intuitive shamanic healing, but also want to now become therapists and get some of that classical training. And they're still going through these same challenges, even though they kind of are familiar with my story, they thought they would be better prepared and won't happen. And they're still caught in these double binds. But anyway, um, I think, um, yeah, for me, um, going through that and and finding some of that guidance and validation from that particular psychic and others um, eventually um, gave me uh, enough validation. Um, and, and I got to the point really um, where I was felt so strongly connected to my heart and soul and mission that I was willing to go wherever. It's like if, if I don't belong in this field and they really gonna, they're going to boot me out, so be it. Right. Be an interesting part of the journey. I was really at that point. Fortunately, that didn't happen, but... Right. Um, yeah. Because your spiritual awakening and growth it asked of you to... And you wrote about a mental disorganization as a, as a result of having a spiritual awakening. And I liken that to a paradigm reorganization. Can you can you talk to us about about that? Yeah, I um, the little motto mantra that I like to use is that for us to experience spiritual order, it's almost like a given that as a byproduct we will experience spiritual disorder, and that mm-hmm. it's not a bad thing because some of the spiritual order, the way the world, with the stories we, we're told, the way we, we're taught to think, run 
thought forms to our minds and go about our day is uh, not in alignment with spiritual order, holistic thinking, paradoxical thinking, um, this deeper wisdom. So for you to really trust that and, and connect to that, you will have to disrupt some of that spirit, that mental order and your attachments to it, the, the losses that you become aware of, which is depression, the fears you have, uh, anxiety, and then lack of grounding could cause ruminations and obsessions and all kinds of things that I experienced myself. Yeah. Um, I, I could do- diagnose them in me, but I could see how fleeting they were because mm-hmm. I had other tools to connect to my deeper energy and see that move through me as a natural um, byproduct or result of what I've been taught and how the and how society functions. So I see that happening often in my clients, but I see why it's more stuck because they personalize it and they worry about it and they think it should be happening and they think it's something wrong with them and they have a diagnosis that they can latch onto, which it says this means about them and all that. So um, my mission is to get to this place of clarity and see all that as just feedback, pain feedback, just like if you mm-hmm. touch burning you know, fire or something. Yeah, you, you're supposed to feel pain in your hands to tell you don't do that, that that's going to get you hurt. So we, yes. we've lost that. We've lost that with our emotions and how to read energy um, because we get overwhelmed. I get that too. And flood and then look for medications and other things to feel better and to keep functioning. But we're not learning from... To feel through it and learn. Yeah, yeah. What, what our soul is wanting to tell us with what we're experiencing. So it's 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 a balance. I'm not saying get rid of all that and don't right alleviate that. Um, but try to. There's a lot further to go. A lot further to go than where we tend to stop. So I want to make sure that listeners know how they can work with you and your upcoming retreats in Costa Rica in April of 2018. Um, can you share with listeners how they can schedule sessions with you and and what you offer? If they're liking yeah, what they're absolutely. hearing today. Absolutely. Um, my sessions, my, my practice is full. Right now, I don't do much more one-on-one. But I do have a Facebook uh, account um, under my name. I have a, another personal account, but it will specify this one is more for my program folks. The other one is for Dutch, my, my relatives, and you will benefit right. from that. But uh, there's also a private closed group. It's called Awaken Your Amazon Wisdom Goddess, uh, where I do a little bit more, um, uh, I do meditations, a little bit more personal um, connections around what might come up. So they're welcome to friend me and join that. And then I also have um, the Sacred Healing Well website and a newsletter that I send out every month. And there's a blog and lots of information that I think is quite useful that listeners and readers could benefit from. And there's a link to my retreats for Amazon, um, for for Nature Wisdom Keepers, actually, which is for Nature Wisdom Keepers. And that um, pertains to very exciting retreats um, that I'll be um, hosting and guiding in Costa Rica in April of 2018. And it's the pinnacle of all my wisdom, all what I've learned in 20 years of practice, doing shamanic work, working with the elements, 
working with these amazing secret places, which I have been to, and they're just, um, yeah, uh, going to Suriname and working in the rainforest is a little tricky and in terms of logistics and, and getting there, it's really hard. So this is a very nice in-between place, very easy to get to, much more reasonable airfare, um, mm-hmm. all top of the line in terms of what will be offered. So I highly encourage people who like that kind of deep, deep transformational work uh, where I teach them so many tools that they can continue to uh, benefit from, especially as thought leaders, as healers, as therapists, um, to check out, yeah, check out what I offer there. So just so our listeners to reiterate what you said, your mm-hmm. website is the, T-H-E, sacred yeah. healing well, all one word, dot com. And then for your retreats in Costa Rica, both are in April of 2018 mm-hmm. in two different locations. It looks like they're about four days each. So that's a really doable, I think, I think time frame for mm-hmm. people to get all the information and digest it. That website is retreatsfornaturewisdomkeepers.com. Correct. And it's accessible Correct. through your Sacred Healing Well website also, I noticed. Exactly, exactly. And the private Facebook group is Awaken Your Amazon Wisdom Goddess. Because these retreats are named the same. It's for women only. And so this uh, closed group gives you a taste of some of the meditations, a very tip of the iceberg experience of that. But um, for people who would like to get a little bit more information, that might be a good place. So what would you like to leave our listeners with today, Lorraine, as we are concluding? Well, I'll go back to my initial point, which is this clarity. I yesterday had uh, worked with four clients. Three of them were pretty brand new. And I'm getting also a bit bolder in my techniques and having learned so much from my clients. And it was so amazing for them to really connect to their true selves. They're in their 20s, amazing, brilliant students. And for most of their life, they walked around with this mistaken identity, more or less stuck in a trauma bubble and not having the tools how to shrink that and see that in its in a larger perspective and connect themselves. And I have a feeling that this is a lot of us. Mm-hmm. So that's what I like people to um, uh, realize. Invest in yourself. It, it, your life could change so quickly, so dramatically by what I call renaturing yourself, really deeply connecting to your true self and also to the traumas, the layers of traumas, not just because many people do that meditating, I think, but really understanding how you're triggered and how that can color over your sense of self and your experiences and what to do with that, with tools in, in a much better way. Yes, beautiful. And is your book out yet or is it coming out within yes. the next week or so? It's it's out yet and I'm super excited. It became a finalist with, uh, for these three categories, multicultural nonfiction, psychology, mental health, and... A nonfiction book cover. So I'm really proud about that. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank so you. So listeners much. can you're welcome. Listeners can find Amazon Wisdom Wisdom Keeper on Amazon.com, correct? Yes. Everywhere where books are sold. That's so awesome. And I'm proud and honored to be an endorser of your book. It's such an honor to Thank support you, so you much. in this your was work. Such a- 
this was such a pleasure. It was so deep, so wonderful, so expansive. I had a blast. I Me too. To, yeah, I look forward to meeting one day. And Me too, can, Lorraine. I would yeah. love that. Thank you for being my guest today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take care, listeners. I will. We will. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Bye. That concludes our show for today. Next week is Thanksgiving. I'd like to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving. I will be playing, LA Talk Radio will be playing a, a, an archived episode as I am going to take a week off and I'll be back the following week with another guest. Thank you so much. Bye. You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir only on LA Talk Radio. When you drive the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power, you can stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see yourself behind the wheel of the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Kia received the fewest reported problems among all brands in the J.D. Power 2022 U.S. Vehicle Dependability Study based on 2019 models. See JDPower.com awards for 2022 details.